This podcast is brought to you by Apex Motor Park. Want to get out on your bike this weekend? Head over to Apex Motor Park on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook and visit one of the best tracks in the country. Private hire bookings now being taken. Hello and welcome to episode 14 of the Live Motocross podcast. Um, I'm coming to you from a very uh, random place today. I'm over in the Emerald Isle um, and joining me, I've managed to rope him into um, co-hosting a podcast with us this week, is Roger Warren. Hello. Thanks for inviting me. Really looking forward to this. <laughs> We've managed to uh, drag you back on, I know, after a few weeks. It's, I'm much more comfortable asking the questions than answering them, I have to say. <laughs> I did wonder about that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not used to having opinions and things like that. So uh, this, is, this is the easy bit. <laughs> um, so seeing as you're our guest co-host this week, would you like to do the honours and intro our podcast guest? Yeah, I, I actually realised that I've probably known this chap for over 10 years, but I know relatively little about him. So I'm really looking forward to this. This this is one of the, the top pros for a number of years now and a role model to any young motocrosser coming up. He's always been there or thereabouts. So uh, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Stuart Edmonds. How are you doing? Nice to uh, finally get on there. Nice to put a podcast here. So it'll be interesting to see what we what we've got in store for me, especially you, Roger. I know you've got some good questions for me. Well, I I did warn you. It's payback time now. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to it. There we go. So, um, I think we'll jump straight into it then. Um. We wanted to get Stuart on the podcast because I think there's quite a lot of stuff, like you said, Roger, that people don't know about him um, and what it's like growing up in Ireland and racing over here compared to obviously the UK. Um, so first up, Stuart, give us a bit of a rundown on how you got started into the sport and where it all began for you. Yeah, so uh, obviously my dad, he was big into the sport when he was younger um, and my mum wouldn't me mum and dad wouldn't let me kind of race until I was about eight but they got me a bike uh I think I was age three or four and I suppose ever since I got into onto the bike I haven't looked back and mm-hmm. loved the sport became more passionate and passionate more passionate about it each day each week I rode and one day my eighth birthday had come along and I, I begged and begged and begged to go racing and they said no and I didn't know that they had my bike in the back of the van and mm-hmm. they said you're going racing this weekend it was a shock to my system but since then, I haven't really looked back. It's uh, It's been an unbelievable experience so far, and uh, I'm still just as passionate today as I was back in, I don't know, 30 years ago now, 28 years ago. I was going to say a while <laughs> it's ago. It's going a good while now, so I'm uh, 32, um, and yeah, I'm loving it. Hello? Roger, can you hear, can you hear us okay? Uh, I've just now sorted out more technology. It's, it's crystal. <laughs> <laughs> I told you I was uh, in danger of pressing buttons and I, I just pressed one, but uh, it's all good this end. Oh, good. Perfect. Did you get all of that? Could you hear us? Yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah. I, just a very quick question. Um, you, you said about growing up in Ireland. Uh, Stuart, what is it you think that is, that is the DNA for Ireland? I mean, there's so many great riders from, you know, yourself, Martin, Barr, Graham Irwin, people like that. What is it that's, that is the Irish riders, you know, and then Johnny Ray and all these people, what, what is it in the, the DNA that makes you take to it so well? Uh, I don't really know. I suppose like the country is just, it's a big motorsport country. Um, everyone loves the motorsports, whether it be bike racing or car racing. 
Um, obviously the, the the motorcycle industry with the roads and stuff is massive here, um, and then the motocross is, is quite big as well. And I I think just we're just such passionate about the sports, um, and it just develops uh, really really good riders. And because we have so much passion for the sport, and there's so much love in the sport, and you're involved from a young age, and I don't really know. It was, that's all I could really say for myself. Is I think it's a passion that kind of drives me uh, most. And I'm, I presume it's the same for the lads, uh, the other lads as well, like Martin Graham and, and Johnny Ray as well. Something in the water, I reckon, to be honest. <laughs> I could, you could be right there, actually. It could be something in the water. I just wanted to break out in a song there, but I, I refrained from singing. <laughs> I suppose the only... Yeah, please don't. Please don't. <laughs> um, the only downside, I suppose, is that um, you get to a certain level and really if you want to progress, then you've got to come across the water, haven't you? Yeah, definitely. Um, obviously, with the motocross here, there's it's quite a good, good lot of racing. Um, but trying to get to the next level, you have to really kind of travel across. You start in the UK, then you go to Europe and stuff like that. And it's um, the, the biggest jump for us is kind of going from from here to the uk and because a lot of riders you're used to riding your own tracks here you're used to racing the same riders every year as you come up through the youth ranks and then the adult ranks and then obviously when you jump across it's a, it's a big jump to ride the uk because there's new riders new tracks some of the tracks are a bit more um are a bit more jumper should i say but uh yeah it's uh it's definitely a, an experience when you, when you do come across and you do make the jump what was that like for you um your first time coming over um thankfully uh for me i was a bit younger coming across and um, i started kind of showing good results here in ireland and someone mentioned to my mum and dad about coming across to the uk start some british championships and i think the first i can nearly remember the first race i went it was a big eye opener for me and um, luckily i was able to do the byn up in desert martin for um a year or for around before i actually come across to do the full season of the byn um but back then, like if you wanted to qualify in Desmond Martin for a British Youth National, it was 60 small wheel riders trying to qualify for 40 places. So when they said to me I was in, in Group B in practice, I was trying to figure out, Group B, how many riders is that? 40 riders. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was a big kind of eye-opener for me because I think the most riders that we would have had in Ireland was probably 20 on a gate. Um, so to be able to kind of go from 20 to 60 was a big, a big shock to the system. But like... I think I took to it quite well and the first year was obviously the year where you had to kind of take it easy and kind of get used to the tracks uh, that I haven't ever never rode before in the UK and a lot of riders and a a little bit different more different riding more aggression um, and then having to fight for the places it didn't matter where you're 20th or you're in 10th the racing was really really close back then so it definitely brought me on that first year. So when did it all start to click for you? And uh, obviously you started winning and, um, you know, tell us how you progressed. Um, I think probably the small, uh, the last year, my last year in the small wheels was kind of when I started kind of clicking across the water in the Utes. Um, and then I slowly started to climb, but I didn't actually really kind of in get any decent results regarding, like I've won one round at the at Pools where it's one champion, or sorry, one race. And that got me a decent overall um, in the small wheels. And then, it was more so the adult ranks when I really kind of started stepping up and I started figuring out how you trained and um, that sort of type of stuff. Like when we were here in Ireland, there wasn't a lot of coaches at the time. And um, there was kind of, you had the odd training school that was organized by a club or 
you'd have or you had Rob Herring come across um to train me and then you had some local riders um back home would train like Adam Lyons, Gordon Crockard, Mark Farley, David Coates, uh, a lot of the riders that were racing at the time. Um so but there wasn't a lot of coaching. So to be able to kind of have a massive progression was was very, very hard for me. And it was more so the racing that kind of brought me on. Okay, so all right, you came out and you said you you started to make some ground in the adult ranks. Um, tell us about when you stepped up to the adults. How how did that work? What classes? What championships? Did do you have any help? How did it? Well, oh. yeah. Funny enough, I had um most of my career and still to this day, uh, Nick Craigie and Gavin Craigie, they were kind of my main sponsors and still are one of my my most loyal sp- sponsors ever to kind of help out. Um, they were helping me with uh, TM back when I was younger and I just threw myself in the deep end I suppose uh, I was on a 125 and there was an adult British in, in Desert Martin I think it was only like 16 and I just said I wanted to go to it and I'd never been to an adult British before in my life and I just managed to qualify um, and I kind of started moving up the ranks back then the next year or the year after I did the same there was a the GP in Desert Martin I'd done the exact same thing threw myself into the deep end there and I keep, I, t- I just kept giving myself big goals, um, and I think the bigger the race was, the more I started to come on, and the better I started racing. And then, as I started doing more frequent uh, British Championships, I started kind of jumping up each time, each year. And it wasn't until about 2011, I think it was, um, Philip McLaughlin helped me out. Um, Adam Lyons helped me a little good bit with training, and just kind of teaching me a little bit more um, motocross-based training and at that stage i was doing all the wrong stuff i was like i was all about the weights and trying to get <laughs> big and needed to be stronger and i was doing very little cardio and and they kind of spent a full full winter with me and philip really kind of pushed me um a good bit and i went from i'd say a mid-packer to a top tenner in 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 the space of winter and that like kind of opened my eyes a bit and then really gave me a um an insight to what i can actually what i could actually do with the right training so do you think that that actually, in a weird way, sort of coming on later in your career helped you? Because I've seen so many schoolboy superstars who have won everything in schoolboys. They come into adults, turn up at a British Championship round, and from winning everything, suddenly they're finishing 20th, and they, they can't cope with it, where you've actually sort of come at it from the other way. You've, you've got better as you've got older. Yeah, definitely. Um, I was always one for uh, – I wanted to – create um, i would say a goal um, and i was always one for chasing a goal and it didn't matter if i was in a race and i was last i didn't want to be the person last i would go for the next next rider or the next rider and the same way each year if i finished at a certain spot i would want to better that and when i did come across and do the, the adult british my goals jumped each year and when i done that like after doing the training i started to realize like okay there's there's a big difference here in what i was doing before and what i'm doing now and i just never let myself kind of get i suppose phased of even if it was expecting to finish a top 10 and i was finishing 15th or 20th i would always make sure my goals were kind of in sight and i was able to kind of push towards them and i still do that to this day and even when i go to a gp or a british championship i'll, I'll, I'll aim uh, aim for a goal nations aim for a goal and i'll make sure i achieve that goal or, or even get close to it do you think that's why you've got such loyal sponsors because they know that you're putting everything into it all the time yeah i'd say so um they, they see the passion like anyone that works with me they see how hard i work and um, a lot of people that work with me behind closed doors or have have are, are very close to me they see they see the hardship that i go through they understand 
that it's not what it looks like it's 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 hard work like i do i do everything i can with, with all the help that i can with my family i do it all myself i do all it with my sponsors alongside and i still work very very hard behind closed doors and i think when people come close to me and they actually see the effort that i put in it it, it creates a bit of a bit of a drive for them to kind of want me to do better so that's probably why they would they, they want to stick around rather than uh, walk away i suppose yeah because I've, I've heard some horror stories on um some some riders who uh you know just take 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 from sponsors and give nothing back and are very disrespectful and and you know I, it just makes you wonder why sometimes you know these guys help people out because sometimes it's just they don't get anything back so from you they're obviously getting feedback and um not gratitude is the wrong word but you obviously are very grateful for the help yeah definitely I'm, I'm always grateful as as i say to anyone that wants to kind of help out it doesn't matter whether you're giving me five pound or you're giving me a free helmet the the amount of gratitude is the exact same i'm going to still put every bit of effort into what you're helping me out with um, and it's the most important to me is trying to hold a relationship even if they do step, decide to step away I, i'm not the type of person to kind of walk away and, and not talk to them i want to try hold a relationship um, I want to create a good relationship or a friendship between all my sponsors so that they do know like later in life, if, if they have a kid that they can come to me and, and they can say, look, would you be able to coach him or would you be able to do this? He wants to get into the bike. So it's just, it's um it's a big roundabout. And sometimes if you step off a roundabout like that and you're you're not expecting to give anything back, um, you'll no longer be allowed to get onto a, a trainer roundabout and people just start, they'll stop looking after you and they'll start seeing a different side of you. And like, you- I'm not that type of person. Do you think that in that case, then people like the Irish Federation or whoever, they could see that you've got talent um, and up and coming riders. Do you think they could do more to help you and guide you and perhaps a little bit of financial help? Yeah, um, definitely. The the Irish Federations, like they, I'd love them to get more involved, especially with youth racing. Um, as I was coming up, um, the help was very, very small. Um, there was a little bit of help from from time to time, but from what they, we could, what we need, and what they can supply, it's hard. Um, I think a lot of money is put into other jurisdictions and other disciplines, and I think for kids to be able to transition from Ireland to England and then from England to Europe or the GPs, there has to be some sort of help from the sports council in Ireland. Um, like if you look at Belgium or if you look at Estonia, they all have some sort of program. France, that's mm. government backed and also backed by the fe- their federation. And there's programs involved that kids can get looked at and scouted for and have a, a progression where there's not really a progression here. And the, the only way you can kind of progress is just by throwing yourself in the deep end and just try and get as much money as you can, work as hard as you can to get across to the UK and then just try get good results and then get picked up then and even at that like with teams in the uk now being so little it's very hard for kids to get picked up where whether it's ireland or the uk so the problem is with that attitude you, you were probably born 20 years too late because if you'd been in sort of the dave thorpe 500 two-stroke era um you would have done exactly that you would have gone to a gp had to qualify to earn some money and make a living and that's that's a yeah. attitude isn't it you would have done well in that yeah, definitely. And funny enough, you're not the first person to say that to me. Um, I remember Stephen Russell saying the exact same thing to me back in 2008 um, when the recession started to hit. I started to come into my prime. Um, well, I wouldn't say prime. I started to get a little bit faster and started to kind of show good results. And he said the exact same thing. It was just, it's just unfortunate. And I never I never use that to kind of say, look, that's held me back. It's not held me back. Like even if you're if I was able to get a few sponsors now, 
I would attack five, six, seven GPs if I was able to fund it myself. Um, each year I try to budget some sort of GP um, into my season. And if I can't get the money, I don't do it. If I can get the money to do it, I'll do it. Um, I always throw myself in, into the deep end that way. Um, but yeah, as you say, like it's it's hard to kind of be able to be picked up unless you've got 50, 60, 70 grand sitting there to put yourself under the team, which is a bit unfortunate. So so do you think you've had a fair crack at GPs, had a fair chance? I mean, you always get to test yourself against Grand Prix riders when you go to the Nations and, and you, you show pretty well. So surely that must you must then think, I could do all right in this. Yeah, well, every time, the way I see it, the bigger the race, the better I ride. So if I was to go to a club meeting, I would ride a little bit faster or on the pace of a club race. Go to a British Championship, I would be on top 10 or whatever. Um, I know I'm capable of top three. But if I was to go to a GP, I would beat some riders that would normally be just the same speed as me or faster or same with the nations. I always found that my pace would kind of pick up a lot um, compared to like weeks beforehand at a British Championship. And everyone would say to me, they were like, why can you do this at the nations and you can't do it at a British Championship? Um, which still to this day kind of phases me a little bit. But I don't know. I think I rise to the occasion. I wouldn't say I got a fair shot at the GPs. I would love to be able to kind of put a full season of GPs in, but I suppose that's every kid's dream. Um, I'm fortunate to be able to kind of, I've been able to ride for my country. I've rode a few GPs over the years. I've rode some British championships. So I've kind of ticked most of the boxes off. And I think the last box of ticks is, is probably to do a GP season. Yeah, I guess that's um, really one advantage of coming from Ireland is, is um, this is no disrespect, but yourself and Martin Barr pretty much probably almost shoeing for the nations every year because you're you're there so, but moving on to that first of all how many have you done and do you still get excited when you get that phone call oh if you could see me every time that phone call rings he was like a child last year roger <laughs> when he got that phone call <laughs> I, it doesn't it doesn't change it literally and when people ask me that question they look at me and go ah yeah right but i'm, I'm dead serious like if that if I have an idea that the team is getting picked in those couple of weeks and I get a phone call, even if the phone call says I'm on reserve, it's still a phone call that I know that could be for donations and I get so excited. Um, it do, it definitely doesn't change. Um, so I've been picked every single year since 2008. Um, obviously, the years I didn't ride, I had to pull out just before donations because of injury. And I think I counted last year. It's either nine or ten now. Or I think it was nine, wasn't it? Yeah, nine yeah. La- up until last year. So. What's Martin up to now? Is he 15, 16 now? Yeah, he, him and um, Leoc are like... I think yeah, Leoc's on about 18, isn't he? Yeah, Leoc's like now. one or two. Yeah, he's like one or two years ahead of him. Um, I so think he started when he was six, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, well, so the two of them are in competition for uh, the most nations, uh, consecutive nations, isn't it? Yeah, but you go to the nations and everybody, everybody loves Team Ireland. Everybody is rooting for you, even if it's on that infamous B final day, all the crowd, everyone is rooting for the Irish. They love you. And and on qualifying day, everyone's, they're looking for their own country, but they're also looking to see where Ireland is. They're, everybody loves yeah. the Irish. And the fans, because yeah. the, the leprechauns are there every year, rain or shine, don't matter where it is, they turn up, don't they? Yeah, <laughs> it's, uh, it's definitely, um, it's uh, to, to view it from a rider's point of view when you're on the side of the track, uh, I remember the very first year I was, we were in the B final and it was in Donington Park. And the weirdest thing for me was when I was going around the track, everybody, and I mean, everybody was shouting. 
and I got so confused because of, there was Spanish flags, there was Italian flags, there was British flags, there was Irish flags. Every flag was waving in front of me. There was a couple of corners. I was like, who the hell's behind me? And I kept looking behind me to see who was behind me, who they were all shouting on. Then I figured it out, oh, they're cheering us on. Um, and that happens every single year. Like, it, it's it's amazing. The atmosphere that you get from the crowd is great. And to see the, the leprechauns every year, they definitely do a, a great job keeping our, um, our name alive anyway. I, I remember at Majora, um, on qualifying day, you were on the, on as always, you were on the edge, the team island. <laughs> uh, Johnny Ray was just down below my commentary point and he was yelling up to me, have we qualified? Have we qualified? He, he was desperate, absolutely desperate. Yeah, I remember that. Um, that was an interesting race. I think, uh, I, I couldn't remember, it was the qualifying race, now the B final, I fell off on the, on the last, or the very first corner, I got, there was, I was caught in a pile up and, I was stuck in third gear. So yeah, I was going from last up to, I think it was a seventh or eighth or something like that. And I remember I just, I just kept seeing the team need another place, need another place, <laughs> need another place. Now, lucky for me, there wasn't a big long start straight in that one. Um, but we managed to just about get it because it was a Jacobi took himself out in the last corner. So we were level on points. That's it. I remember. Yeah, yeah exactly. We were le- level on points up until that, up until the last lap. And we needed one more point and we would have took him. And then, sure, that was it. He took himself out. <laughs> yeah, because it, it took a while for the electronic timing to calculate who'd gone through and catch it up. And sort of everyone was just waiting on waiting on that one to see if you got through. But Yeah, that was an interesting race for sure. You must have a real collection of um, race kit and painted helmets from that event. Yeah, I've got an amazing kit. I can't wait to uh, be able to kind of get a room and stick them all up. Um, obviously, the, the Majora helmet got stolen on me. Um, oh that's right i remember yeah you had all the kit in it didn't you on the saturday yeah we had uh we had my helmet it was just me helmet and a few other bits and bobs nicked and yeah i did feel guilty about that i wish i hadn't done that (laughs) (laughs) yeah so if anyone has the helmet there you may send it back there i promise i won't tell on you It's yeah, quite a place in your uh, in your studio now, Roger. Is it? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah I, I'll send it back anonymously. Yeah, send, send it back to me, and I'll sign it, and I'll send it back across it. I, I do remember that one because you would you were distraught. I remember talking to you. Oh, I was fuming. I was absolutely fuming because I literally walked back and I'd like fifteen minutes before I was going out, and I could not find my helmet anywhere. Not good at all. Um. So, what would you say, speaking of nations, would be your um kind of favorite memory across the years um i don't really know to be honest actually have you not got like one nation that really stands out for you yeah the, well the majora one was it was cool um mm-hmm. obviously all the nations that we qualified straight through was really really good mm-hmm. um saint john d'angelo that was probably my best nations ever to date uh, I was lucky enough to Nick Craigie and Gavin Craigie was able to speak to the TM factory and organize me a factory 250F to ride mm-hmm. for the weekend. Um, and probably my my best memory from that weekend was passing Dean Wilson on his Pro Circuit KX, KX250 mm-hmm. up a hill. And uh, I thought this was amazing because I knew I was at least double the weight of him. <laughs> um, and I thought this was my best thing ever. So I passed him up the hill and I managed to finish eight overall in the nations in the mx2 category so that was probably my claim to fame for the nations that 250 tm though bernardini proves that thing was a rocket ship wasn't it yeah that that uh, bernardini engine came out like two years later but the one that they that i rode was the next one before that and i thought that was a rocket ship compared to what i was riding all year and this did, oh it was great i was getting over jumps so easy and then uh, i seen bernardini's one and oh that thing coming out of the gate was unreal absolutely unreal 
Yeah, because, I mean, since he came off of that, he's done nothing. So it, it showed. But tell us, you say the Craigies, obviously, they support you with a TM and everything. Did you? How did you feel riding a TM? Did you feel a disadvantage or at an advantage because you were sort of the sole rider and were getting all the attention? How, how did you feel riding that? Because it's, it's different, isn't it? It's diff- no doubt about it, it's different. Yeah, it's definitely different because there's not a lot of them out there. Um, the funny part of it was, um, I suppose I got a little bit more attention because not a lot of people seen them. Um, and obviously I was like one of the main riders riding for TM at the time in the UK. But the help that I was getting from the Craigies was, was an amazing bit of help. And probably the worst part about TM was everybody slagging me off, saying, <laughs> oh, the TM this, TM that or whatever. Um, that was probably the worst thing about it. But the results that I've got on, on the TM was amazing. And the bikes were always great. They were, they just, they suited me and um, and I had the power. I never had to put, we never had to put a lot of money into the into the bikes to be able to make them go fast um, so that it was always a bike that was well suited to me and I always liked it from a young age and I think more so I was afraid to kind of leave um, because they were they were giving me good deals the bikes were good and each year I was getting better and better and better and then eventually we just we just we managed to get a team deal and, and kind of we went from there then really yeah because Sean Simpson couldn't get on with it did he when he rode it yeah, he had uh, he had a couple of issues um, at the start of the year, wasn't it? And he had to leave halfway through. Yeah. I don't remember what happened. Yeah, it's a shame It's because they're a lovely-looking bike. But, uh, yeah, fantastic. But um, So, the Nations, um, do you think it'll happen this year? What do you think? Do you know what? I've, we've been talking in the house quite a bit about mm. this the last couple of days, and uh, I don't know. I think, personally, um, people have been asking me about racing, and I think what's happened this year... I think every everything should be cancelled. GPs, I think everything should be cancelled because there's so many people off bikes for so long, um, and there's races getting cancelled and there's getting rescheduled, and I, I think it's really really messy. Um, for them to run the GPs and to run the nations like so early in the the GP season, I think it's wrong. Um, but whether it'll run or not, I don't know. It depends on France, really, I suppose. And then uh, people traveling will everybody be allowed travel and will it be as easy as everyone's thinking well I've, I've been signed up so i'm desperate for it to happen and funny i'm actually looking <laughs> at a picture of the um the 2015 race now and yeah you see that bank of spectators and how close they stood to each other yeah i loved i loved rna in, in 2015 I absolutely loved it um that was probably the the best thing coming around that star straight when you come to the first corner to all the spectators and all you hear you hear nothing and then you just hear the massive crowd of cheer, and you're like, "Oh, the first first time I went up Star Street, I was like, wow, that's a bit much." And then you <laughs> jump down the hill into the valley, into towards the spectators, don't you? Yeah, it's an amazing track. I I really like that track. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see. Um, I don't know. Like, it'd be nice to have nations. It'd be nice. It'd be someone to look forward to. But I think the way things are going, I I I don't really know to be honest. No, I I. Because I've heard that there's a few federations who have already publicly said they wouldn't send a team, but you know they're yeah. combining it with a GP and all sorts of stuff. So I, I don't know. In front, seem well. You spoke to David Longo a couple of weeks ago, and he seemed yeah, we did yeah quite keen, didn't he? Yeah, he seemed pretty positive that it's going to go ahead. But like we say, that was going to be one of my next questions: is if the amount of teams start pulling out with. Um, sending it you know sending a team for their country how is that going to work because surely you need x amount to run well you it's difficult isn't it but um i i don't know how that would work you know i mean 
they said if they ran it as a GP, then obviously that would be effectively two races within one. So that could work and you could score the nations at the same time as a GP race. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's not just that. It's the quarantine thing. You know, is that going to stop yeah. flying or flying in from around the world? Because unless teams can fly, it's not going to happen, that's for sure. Um, mm. What are the Americans going to do? You know, it's in the middle of their nationals. So are they going to send a team or any riders want to come across? Unlikely. Um, there's I, 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 One reason I, I agree with what you're saying, Stu, is that, you know, you're probably better off saying cancel 2020, but, you know, the same as everybody else. On the other hand, I'd be desperate to see that and desperate to get yeah. back out there. So I don't know. There's the, with your sensible head on, you'd say don't do it. But with your passionate head on, then you'd be trying everything you could to run the event. Yeah, well, I only heard uh, the other day what you were saying about um, classing the nations as a GP point scoring as well. That's a bit unfair for the riders because there's some teams would have – um, four or five possible candidates of, of riding uh, the nations and race the GPs. So, what if there are there's only three riders going to go? The other two riders are going to miss out on a point scoring. So that's not really going to be fair on, on a lot of the riders that don't get picked for the team. If you were to think of it that way as well, and, and the nations as well. It's it's about the lesser teams. I mean, we we you know due respect. We love seeing the Greeks and the um, the Thai riders and people like that coming across. And that's what makes the nations. It's it's not all about the big hitters. It's it's about everyone coming together. And, you know, how would they integrate them into a GP? I'm not sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that would be an interesting one, how they would um, sort that out, I suppose. What about the British? What, how do you see that going? Yeah, same, same sort of thing. I think um, at this stage now... Um, I obviously t- I would love for the British to be on, but I think now this is myself talking. I've not been out on a bike since the start of lockdown, so that's what what is it now? Fourteen weeks or something? Yeah. So, and I haven't touched a bike. The only bit of I suppose extreme riding I've gotten is a mountain bike. I've been flat out mountain biking, um, but with regards to racing a motocross bike or riding a motocross bike, I haven't been doing anything because. In my area, the the lockdown, all the the Garda, uh, the police were out in force, and like I went cycling quite a few times, and they actually turned me around, and I was within the two kilometer radius of my house, and told me to go home, and so it was really really strict. And um, drive even driving to the shops, they asked you where you were going, what you were doing, and unless it was for um really important stuff out of shops, they told you to go home. So. I my van sat in this in the driveway for literally 12 to 13 weeks and it only came out there last week or the week before for a, a drive around Dublin because we're allowed to uh, drive around the city. So, so how, uh, lo- how long would it take you to prepare now if, if they suddenly said, right, we go in August? Could you could you be ready? Um, Honestly, possibly ready at a decent pace, yeah. Fitness-wise, no. What's, what's the I team think- say? What, what's their take on it? Uh, we have, we haven't really spoke much. I think um, Dylan he has he said like he would like a bit more feedback from ACU, I suppose, and um, regarding when the dates are. And I think if you give give all the riders give us all kind of something to look forward to. So say if they were to say twentieth of August, we're going to start the, the next round, um, and then that would give everyone a kind of a goal to aim for. And then if they can't run the twentieth of August to reschedule it or cancel, well then that would kind of bring things to light a bit more 
but we haven't really smoked much. I think everyone's kind of just been doing their own stuff, doing their training and doing what they could to kind of stay sane, I suppose. But with regards to me getting fit for August, I think it'd be very slim because <laughs> it takes me a good two months after like w- winter. Like this is effectively a winter training. The only difference is I've been able to cycle every day in the sun. Um, so when you get back on the bike, it takes me a good month and a bit to kind of get back bike fitness. That's riding every weekend. So yeah, it would be, it's definitely going to be tough. And, and obviously I'm not the only one in the, in this boat, there's quite a few riders. There's other riders that have been lucky. They have their own tracks at the back or close to them that they've been able to get out. Um, but for me, um, it's been unfortunate for me. I don't have those those luxuries. <laughs> so how's that going to leave you looking next year? Because you're with a good team, I'm sure you you probably would like to stay with again. But how how does that leave you? Because you know when you, you're going to have very few, if any, results to negotiate on. How, how's that going to work? Yeah, um, I think I'm just going to have to ring Dylan and give him a very pretty please. Can we stay on for 2021? <laughs> Big, um, Big, that works. Yeah. And, Beg, literally beg, and I don't even know if he's gonna run for next year. Like, uh, obviously, it's been hard for the likes of them and sponsors as well. Like, not a lot of people think of the businesses that support us um, as a team. So, a peak of factory racing, they would have had to stop um, during the lockdown. A lot of big businesses that sponsor me would have had to stop during the lockdown. So, you have to be kind of, you have to be, um, you have to realize that they could be struggling too, and things could be a little bit harder for next year. And I think not a lot of people look at that when, you know, from a writer's point of view, when there's people, when we're relying on sponsors and teams to look after us and get us going. If they're struggling, then we struggle too. So we have to kind of watch out for next year, I suppose, and kind of look out for everyone. That That's, you know, that that's probably something that us general riders and public don't understand. As you being a pro, you get to this time of year, maybe a little bit later, um, then you've got to start thinking about next year and that must be awful, you know, with the yeah. future sort of, you, you don't know what, what's going to happen. Are you going to be still riding next year? Are you going to be earning any money? That must must be, must be play on your mind. It must be horrible. Yeah, it's it's definitely nerve-wracking, uh, don't get me wrong. Um, like you, you want to plan for next year, but you can't make any plans until you've got some sort of bike deal in place first. Because that's your priority at the minute. There's no point in making any other plans for next year unless you've got your, your team deal or your bike deal or whatever way it works. Um, so f- this time of year, covering right up to August, September is kind of the, the pinnacle for us to kind of stress. And you might get most riders would be extra grumpy because they're not organized mm-hmm. for the next year. And um, yeah, it's, it's a stress for me, really. Um, sometimes you, you get lucky, you get things sorted early and sometimes you just have to wait it out. Um, there's been times where I've been like November and I've just about sorted something out and then there's been times where I've got everything organized in August September and that, those times are they definitely are they do help when you're kind of organized a little bit earlier and um, with regards to sponsors as well like you, you get a lot of people I, I don't know about other riders but some people they would uh, some sponsors they would agree to help out and it comes to next year and you wouldn't hear from them or they've just been struggling and they can't do what they've they've agreed on the year before. So that's also another thing that comes into factor for us as well. That's quite tough. Um, so your budget for, say, to go do winter training for two weeks and then all of a sudden that, that sponsor's not pulled through. So you have to kind of pull that out and you have to change things around. So some things behind closed doors don't people don't see and it's nerve-wracking for us, but we make it work either way. And there's no dirt bike show this year, so you can't network there either, can you? Yeah, I've seen that was cancelled, didn't I? Yeah, I was just going to bring that up, actually, because um, we've put something out on, on Live Motocross this morning. 
Um, do you think that's going to sort of roll out? Because obviously Motorcycle Live is now being cancelled. You've got Dirt Bike Show now cancelled. How is that going to affect the industry sort of moving forward? Because it's going to be difficult either way. But now in these times, it's just going to be 10 times harder for these riders to sort of pull in sponsors. Yeah, well, I think um, with regards to this year, I think if everything's cancelled this year, um, it would be up to the manufacturers and the teams and stuff mm-hmm. to kind of say, right, if we can do something for next year, let's just continue the contracts from yeah, this roll year, it roll it over to next year. Ideally, that would be perfect for everyone, I, mm-hmm. I suppose. Um, but it's we don't live in an ideal world, I suppose, don't we now? So we kind of have to wait it out. As, like You might get some teams will be able to do that, and you might get some teams just we're relying on results this year to be able to do something for next year so mm-hmm. and as well as a lot of the manufacturers they might be struggling too so i know husky and ktm they had to close doors uh, during lockdown so yeah. you don't know how that's going to affect them yeah i think as well like with everyone being so in such uncertain times and we're not getting that much clarity from the acu at the moment do you think it will change and everything will start moving once we get those dates in the calendar or how do you think it's going to go yeah, I think um, yeah. If there was a if there was a date to say, look, we're aiming for, I know the next British on the calendar is effectively end of August. Yeah. So if they were to put something out and say, look, we're trying to aim for the end of August, I think people can kind of go right. Let's start making plans. Let's start doing stuff. Um, but until I, I think they're kind of the last ones to kind of where everyone's really holding on. Um, I know they're trying their best to try sort something out, but I think at this stage. We're getting a bit late. Um, I think personally, if we run like the GPs late into August, October, November time, we're just going to end up having to cancel races due to weather. Um, mm. Unless we we do it all sand race again and run on the all weather tracks. But yeah, I think a bit of clarity uh, on dates and when we're looking to set back, uh, get back going would be the first kind of priority or move for me. And it would be to look forward to it, really. What's your strategy for sponsors? Because um, yeah, like you say, you need a bike, number one, obviously, and it's it's fantastic if someone gives you some helmets or some kit and some oil and tires, but that doesn't pay your bills, does it? So, what, do you look outside? Do you try and what's your strategy? Yeah. So, um, firstly, uh, everyone thinks that we're all paid and we get loads of money, and I'm just gonna put it out there that we don't. We don't get loads of money and we aren't all paid. Um, lucky some riders are lucky to be able to get a small wage other riders are not so lucky so i've never actually had a wage and um, while racing a bike i've always relied on my sponsors and my own work at home so this year was my year i was working for uh, a company the last two or three years and i stopped last september to kind of put more into my racing again a bit more into my coaching and um, so i was relying on coaching and obviously race results and sponsors to basically pay my bills um and obviously with the with the racing side of things cancelled this year also the coaching side of things cancels it, it's been it's been tough but strategy wise to get sponsors in i try to look at something different um the the, the businesses and sponsors that are in the industry already it, it's kind of it's watered down there's so many people that they're helping out i try look outside the industry for new people new new businesses new sponsors and try kind of bring them in um give them something that they might like um, something that's interesting and see can I get new businesses and new sponsors involved, new people involved and try promise to give them something that nobody else can give them um, that would be my kind of strategy really and it doesn't always work out um, sometimes you just it's just deals can't be, can't be made and then other times you, you, you get surprised like um, 
I put myself out two years ago um, for Specialized Ireland um, mm-hmm. and I put my CV, CV in and didn't think I was going to get I didn't think I was going to get um get it now of it or get any help and f- two months down the line I managed to get um an ambassadorship from them so they've helped me out really really well with bikes and mountain bikes and road bikes and stuff and anything I need they've been really really good and so stuff like that like you just kind of have to put yourself out there I know a lot of kids nowadays they expect everything from Instagram or Facebook and it doesn't work that way it's yes you have to have a good social media output but you also have to go, have to have a good personality you have to be able to approach somebody and talk to people and you have to be able to show them what you're you're capable of off the bike not just in results so now that that's there's two things there um I, I 100% agree I, I'm forever saying to people they turn up and they see British Championship and GPs and they think you're all millionaires and I mm-hmm. the number of people actually getting paid at this race, you could probably count on one hand. Most people are paying to be there, and they, they don't get that. But you've been around a long time. You've you've mentioned the social media side, and obviously, Sophie, you're you're queen of that. Um, <laughs> you, you must have had to adapt during your career um, to things like that to help sponsors and attract them. But also, you're riding because in you know you've been riding top level for ten more years now. Riding's changed. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you wouldn't have thought of scrubbing when you first started riding adults. So stuff like that, you must have had to change and adapt to keep up to the current level. Yeah. Um, funny that you say that. That's actually that's quite a good thing to bring up. Um, so I think. See, hey, you're dealing with a pro now. Remember that. Yeah. yeah that's, <laughs> I, I never actually thought of it that way. Um, when Bubba came up, I suppose that's when I first started seeing scrubbing. Um, so I didn't start doing all my riding changing until that era i suppose i say i was mad into stefan evers loved his style loved how he rode and i loved how bubba used to be stylish over the the jumps and stuff and then that's how i kind of started getting involved i started i got on the one to five and i seen what he was doing and i started doing little things and progression that progressing that way but um yeah this the style of riding has changed and um, social media has changed massively um it's a big it's a big it's different just kind of you're you're selling yourself and you're trying to show um i suppose a truthful image of what you're doing and who you are as well as helping um the people that are sponsoring the manufacturers that are helping you out and the people that are look after you is um that's important too so yeah there's been a a massive massive change throughout my career when you when you put it that way yeah (laughs) well people like tony caroli i mean caroli is seriously had to go back to the drawing board and learn how to ride the same as Geiser and Hurlins. Um, yeah. Them. yeah. Yeah, you're right there. Um, I think um, any good rider will always see that there is improvement. Um, anyone that says to themselves they don't need to go to training schools or they don't need to get coached or that's the rider that's not going to go far. Um, and it's a really important, like even now, if someone was to come to me that was a GP rider or even they don't necessarily have to be faster than me. And um, if they were to coach me or give me a, a bit of advice on the track, I would take it on board straight away. Look at it. Try it. If it worked, it worked. If it didn't work, I'd, I it wouldn't work. It's just the way, it's, the way it goes. You're, I'm always asking for guidance. I'm always asking for help. So, yeah, it's important. Like you see Caroli, he's he's upped his game a little bit when um hurlins and uh, guys that came along with their aggression and you can see it starting to come out of Crowley now again as well because he's kind of come up through the the Everett era where it was all about smoothness and style and um endurance in the race 
But it, it, that's, that's one thing. I mean, the old school style, especially in GPs, um, the first five, ten minutes, you'd settle into it. You can't do that now, can you? No, definitely. I remember I remember where, where was one of, the, one of the first GPs I did on a big bike. Uh, I thought it was the weirdest thing ever. There was like first two laps, it was fairly fast. And then I was still going forward in mid-race. And I was like, why are they all going so slow? And then next minute, it was like the last 15 minutes was unreal. It this the pace either I got really really unfit and really tired or the pace jumped about five seconds, um and then the GPS or the nations in the last five six years it's just flat out from start to finish. There's no there's no mid 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 break mid motor break should I say? And I always have a mid motor lapse. They always <laughs> they always give out to me in the team and the sponsors always give out to me my two lap sleep. So yeah, it's uh, it's changed a good bit over the years I suppose. So with with the coaching side, um, which do, which way would you see yourself going on a one to one with uh, people just coming up, or I see Stephen Sword now works with Comrade Comrade Muse, um, you know, sort of a mentor, coach, that sort of thing. Which which do you think you could bring to the party? Which would be better for you? Um, well, I'd like to give my my input. Uh, when I was a kid, I I didn't have a lot of people. I had my dad helping me out. Um, I had some some coaches here. But I didn't actually have a full-time coach that I could know. I would go was going to him on the weekend, or he would have a group session here. Or I would like to be able to give my, um, I suppose my my experience on the sport to everyone. Um, group coaching is, is is really good. But I'm working with two or three kids here now at the minute, um, per, on a personal basis, and doing a lot of one-to-ones with them, and they've come on lots. Um, and it's I think it's important that you're able to spend one-on-one as well as do some group sessions for other people because um, to be able to do one-to-one with a rider, you'll get a lot out of them within the two hours, two or three hours that you ride. And then within a group session, they may take three things out of a group session, um, which is good depending on the rider and what they do. So I want to give a variation, I suppose. I want to do a bit of, a bit of group sessions and also one-on-one. It'd be nice to be able to nurture a rider um from his youth career all the way up to his adult career and still be involved with them yes they're going to have to go to teams they'll have to go to different people throughout the, the their career but i'd still like to be able to be there when they are successful and be able to still kind of go try this try that and they'll still have trust in me well, you're kind of doing that at the moment aren't you with um young jordan i don't know if you saw roger he was the um the 65 rider at arena cross this year uh, I, yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I didn't realize you were working with him, but yeah. Yeah, no, Jordan, um, funny enough, Jordan came to me when he was only learning about, I'd say it's three or four years ago now, three years ago, I would say. And uh, I, he learned how to ride a little bit, taught him his gears, taught him how to take off, taught him how to stop, that sort of stuff. And he went away, came back for a few more group sessions and his, his like, he's excelled massively. Um, in the last just in the last year alone being able to go to the arena crosses second year second year racing 65 cc's to do arena crosses is, is massive and uh, he's actually moved up to a small 85 now um i'm also working with another kid and um, finn wilson i've helped him out uh, quite a bit and he's come to me to do a few uh group sessions and i've done some one-on-one stuff uh, he's definitely an, an amazing rider as well to look out for and then aaron gray they're um they're kind of my three main riders that i i am um, kind of putting a bit of time and effort into at the minute um mm-hmm. so yeah it's uh there's 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 a few few kids in, in my eyes um at the minute that i'm kind of looking at and i can see progression 
that leads into a question, so doesn't it? <laughs> Brian Kavanagh. This is it. Um, we'll probably jump onto those in a little while because there's been, um, what, one, two? There's been quite a few Q&As sent in this week, um, <laughs> some of which you'll probably know who they're from. <laughs> um, a quick one as well. Roger pointed out last night to me um, when we were talking a little bit about prepping the podcast and whatever. Each rider has uh, their own number that they are kind of drawn to. Like mine's always been 33. Um you know, so what was what was the origin of, of the number 162? Funnily enough, there's actually no reason to 162 whatsoever. There's like, <laughs> it was just one of those things. I always ran, um, what did I run? 33 in the, in the Utes, um, mm-hmm. small with 85s, big with 85s. Then I think I went to 16 and that kind of stuck for me for a while. And then when I'd done my first season in British Championships, I had to run 162. And that's how that stuck. Mm-hmm. And Gordon Crocker nicknamed me 162. And that's how that stuck. Oh, that was him, was it? Yeah, that was him. He came up with the, the, the bright idea of 162. So he called me Stewie 162. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, just it stuck ever since then. Um, my favorite numbers are actually seven and five. So uh, I just I just enjoy 162. I ran number nine for a while. Um, but I always revert back to 162. It's kind of my number that everyone knows me by, I suppose, by now. <laughs> I've got uh, quite a few years. What about you, Roger? Did you always have like one number that used to stick in your mind? Um, no, but uh, actually my elder brother did. Um, he always used to run the number 81. Mm-hmm. Um, no particular reason, I think, uh, other than I think he won his first race with that number. Um, and he used to have a standard number. I, I didn't. I was just pleased to get in the race at all, really. The only time I had a number was when I was sidecars, and you obviously had your national number. Um, and um, we we had number eleven. That was I was always quite pleased with that one. Time when you're upside down as well, so that was okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, there we go. So I think we will head into the Q and A's now. What do you think, Roger? Yeah, the Q and A's. Let's let's go. Let's go. <laughs> Right then. So first question sent in by Brian Kavanagh. He says, hi, Stuart. Would you have any advice for a 12-year-old who is starting motocross? Um, Regards to riding a bike, I think the most important thing when you're starting motocross is just to enjoy it. Um, Learn about the sport, get your passion. Um, Obviously, try to go to a coach and learn some basics. Um, That's the most important part. Um, but I think once you're enjoying the sport, you'll you'll last for years, and that's probably my my the, the biggest best advice I could give. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I get asked that quite a bit, and I I say the same thing. People they have, have the kids, and I they you know you see them, and I say to them, if you've got a few hundred quid to spend to spare, rather than make the bike go faster, get some coaching because you will yeah. two yeah. seconds a lap quicker coaching. Um, and you won't by making the bike go faster. But yeah. very few actually follow that through because it's sexier to go and buy maybe a, you know, a fancy head or a cylinder portman or something like that, <laughs> make it go Extend. faster. Um, Extended swinging arms. Yeah, for sure. You know, and that's it, And or buy the latest kit. But actually, if you had some coaching, you'd see a noticeable improvement. But, you know, that's, that's not sexy. But I would say that 100%, and I'd recommend anybody go and do that. Yeah, if you get a if you get a good coach, um, 
just the basics is the most important. Like it's 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 unreal how you can you can make a difference in a rider by just coaching simple basics for one day. Like I still do all my advanced riders now. They hate it, and I can see that they hate it. But then at the end of the hour or two hours that we do the basics, I see an improvement, and they're kind of going, "Yeah, he's right." And I'm like, "Yeah, I know. This is why I coach." <laughs> do you know what? Can, can I be a bit controversial here? Um, <laughs> I I would strongly recommend maybe not twelve, but if you've got a kid who's six, seven, eight, something like that, I would strongly recommend you start off in trials, school board trials, yeah. because you, it's it's a safe environment. It's really friendly. You get to ride your bike all day long and you learn the basics of controlling a motorbike. You learn throttle control. You learn clutch control. You learn how to brake properly. Get that you- sorted. Then when you get to 12, 13, 14 go in the motocross and go fast. All the top enduro riders, the best riders in the world, all started in trials. Come here, have you ever seen a People like that. Unbelievable. Have you ever seen a motocross rider doing his first trials? It's hideous, isn't it? (laughs) It's it's definitely uh, entertaining. But you you look how fast um, the trials riders can go. You know, the Jarvises, the Johnny Walkers, people like that unbelievable but i say controversial but i would always if it was mine i would always start i, I did with my son starting him off in trials because you learn the basics you learn how to ride a motorbike yeah no i'd agree to that go too. fast yeah <laughs> so next one um callum swan we all know swanny let's face it um how do you feel about having so much time away from the bike without it being time off due to an injury so we've never really experienced anything like this before, have we? Yeah, no, that I I think that's that's an interesting question because yeah, usually when you're having time off the bike, it's either winter time and you're having a month or two off, and then you're back riding. Um, but yeah, to be in the summertime and not riding your bike, that's it. To be honest, for the first few weeks, it's been nice. It was nice to be able to actually just train, um, go cycling, recover, and eat what you need to eat and then go cycling and recover. That was, it's, it's really nice to experience that for a few weeks, but then the, the moto, moto people and they started putting up videos and they started kind of getting to me a little bit. So it's frustration now, frustrating at the minute now and not being able to ride my bike, but yeah, it was, I have to say it was kind of enjoyable the first few weeks and not have to ride, um, due to not due to being out of because of injury. Um, so yeah, it was it was enjoyable, but frustrating at the same time. Mm-hmm. How are you fitness wise? Because you've had a lot longer to get fit. You've obviously had time to recover from any injuries that were hanging over or whatever. Where are you fitness wise? Um, well, I would say I'm fairly fit. Um, now on a bicycle, uh, there's every time I see somebody that hasn't seen me in a while, they just compliment me on how much weight I've lost. You know, sometimes I do be worried because I I don't want to look like I'm. A skinny skeleton so um i suppose it's working um cardiovascular wise but i'm also i've also lost a lot of strength and um, you can only do so much out your back garden with regards to no weights and stuff so i've been kind of trying to keep up on that but i definitely have lost a bit of strength um and you need you do need a bit of strength uh, when you're dragging a 450 around but um definitely I've, i'm a lot fitter than i have ever been uh, with regards to a bicycle so next one from Alex Panda thirty seven on Instagram. Um, why do you do Western Beach Race? Um, 
I've always wanted to do Western Beach Race for years, and I just never got around to doing it. And then Dylan asked me, and Anna asked me from a Pico to do it last year. Um, it's a race that it's a challenge, and like I said earlier on, I love challenging myself, especially when it comes to to, to uh, riding a bike. And um, funny enough, I've wanted to do Erzberg, I've wanted to do Romaniacs, and um, <laughs> so I'm kind of starting at the bottom, doing a bit of Western Beach Race. Um, I'm, I always found that I'm more of an endurance rider. So in the longer races, I found I come on a good bit at the end of the race. Um, and I th- I just, I thought I would do well in, in Weston. And I I wanted to kind of throw myself in the deep end to see where I could uh, finish. And yeah, just main, it's, I mainly do it for the challenge. So it's not that you can earn a few bob then? No, <laughs> definitely not because I earn a few bob. Yeah, definitely not because of that. It's a great race. I, I, as Sophie knows, I, I was lucky enough to work there last year, and I, I hadn't been for about twenty years. I could not believe the amount yeah, of people. It was there. unreal last year, wasn't it? I, now, even even though I had yeah. a bit of a nightmare, but uh, it was definitely it was a race that I, I remember asking every like all the riders. I asked like Jamie and, and Matt, and they're all like, "It's the best race you'll ever do." And I'm like looking at them, I was like, sick in the head. How's like riding three hours in sand going to be the best race you're going to ever do?" And I remember going around and I think there was three laps to go because mm-hmm. um, obviously I had a bit of a malfunction at the start and the oil bung came out. So I had to push the bike back, find the bung, put the bung back in, get the team to put oil back in. So I was two laps down. So I was just, there was no pace on myself. It was just as hard as I could go for as long as I could go. And I remember like, I think it was about, I see three laps left and I hit the wall. And I mean, when I hit the wall, I hit the wall. It was like, I couldn't turn the throttle. And even trying to change gears was, I was like, what is wrong with me? And I just couldn't focus. And then I kind of got, got going a bit, got a bit of water into me and I got going again for the last lap. And I come across the line going, how the hell is that the best race of my life? So by the time I got from the line t- to the awning and I kind of got a bit of food back into me, <laughs> I someone asked me, what do you think? And I was like, that's the best race of my life. <laughs> and it was all in the space of like five minutes from going to, oh my God, I hate that race to go and get to the on and get some food into me to absolutely love it and it's definitely it's by far the best race i've done in a long long time and with regards to spending time on the bike and just trying to maneuver yourself past the riders that are stuck and trying not to get stuck yourself it's it's unreal well put it this way so next next time you'll be better you you wait and see you wait and see if it's on this year i'm gonna be at the top Well, put it this way, Roger, I've never seen anyone eat a pack of Jaffa cakes <laughs> so quick on a pit stop in my life. I, I tell you what, though, I was very sore the next day. Very sore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if you had seen me walking around, oh, John Wayne hadn't even got a patch on me. <laughs> yeah, do you think it'll happen this year? What's the word? Yeah, I mean, it, we, well, I say we've all got the go ahead with Gareth. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, did you manage to to listen into the podcast with Gareth a couple of weeks ago? Uh, I listened to the first one, not the second one, no. So, yeah, we've all got... Um... Don't put me on the spot <laughs> like that. <laughs> so, yeah, as far as we know, we are all good to go. Obviously, we just need to put some different plans in place for um, social distancing and bits and bobs like that. But obviously, that might change again in the next week. So, it's just all a bit mad, really. Well, let's hope so. Let's hope it happens. Need something to look forward to. Um, So, next question. Michael O'Driscoll. Have I pronounced that right? O'Driscoll? O'Driscoll? Mikey O'Driscoll. There you go. Um, What bike would you like to finish your career on? 
Now, now, Mikey, who says we're going to finish my career? <laughs> There's no finishing. I'm going to be driving bikes till no ends. Um, ah, look, if it was any bike and I could pick any bike I want, obviously I'd love to fi- finish on a factory team. But sometimes those luxuries aren't uh, where you would want. But uh, I'm very happy with the Husky. Uh, the Husky 450 is definitely a bike that suits me. Um, so, yeah, I'd be happy to finish on the bike that I'm on now, yeah. Is there any sort of, like, dream bike that you would want to have uh say one last ra- race meeting on yeah the ice one husky definitely <laughs> prepared by paul i would <laughs> love a go a yasakonis's bike it looks like it's the dream well jonas's bike's going spare at the moment isn't it um is it really just got injured isn't he he's oh, just no. got injured there I'm, you go. I'm, I'm a jonas yeah. fan i'm not I just, put a good there word you go. there roger <laughs> yeah, okay yeah okay yeah I'll, uh, yeah, I'll, don't call me, I'll right, call cool. you. Right. I'll, I'll be sitting waiting by the phone. There we are. So next question. Um, this is from Ross and Greg. Um, who are your two favourite pit girls? <laughs> uh, Sophie again. No. <laughs> um, I'd have to say Ross and Greg definitely are my two favourite pit girls. <laughs> um, they, they helped me out in the, um, the arena cross there this, this year. Yeah, they've definitely done a good job, especially when Ross was walking around with his pint in his hand. That was quite good. Yeah, I think I saw him at one point. He got a pint and a spanner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He says, what do you want me to do? I was like, you're okay. You just sit and relax. <laughs> <laughs> um, this one's been sent in as well from uh, Jordan, actually. Jordan Kinsella, um, one of your students, I should say. Hello, bud. Um, what was the highlight of your career and what are your future goals? Um, highlight of my career. That's a great yeah, question. question. Yeah, like that. Question. So yeah. Highlight of my career, probably uh, Taiko Suzuki year. Uh, I think I finished fairly high up in the British Championship. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a decent, uh, I actually finished, I got my first pro podium um, in the MX, or no, Red Bull Pro Nationals with them. Um, so that's probably my highlight of my career. Um, future goals. Uh, well, next year, I've been thinking in my head, I haven't told anybody, so I might as well tell you as all now. Uh, I would love to do five GPs next year, um, uh, obviously the British Championship. Um, so I'll just aim for my future goals as in next year. So, yeah, if I could do five GPs um, and the British Championship next year, that would be a, a really, really good goal for me to achieve. And then obviously uh, to uh, be picked for the Team Ireland um, to ride the MX Nations would be an important goal too. Any five, or have you got five in uh, mind? Obviously, European. Um, any five would do. It wouldn't really matter. I'd, I'd obviously pick the close ones, so I'd probably do France, Spain, maybe throw a Ger- uh, Germany in there, um, Lommel, if I could. Give myself a, a bit of hardship. <laughs> I've, uh, I've a bone to pick with, with Lommel, you see, so I didn't ride to my uh, my best, I suppose, the, the last time I raced Lommel at the MX Nation, so I want to kind of go back there and sort that out. You you weren't alone there. There was quite a few who struggled that day, if I remember. There was some uh, top American names who had a tough time there. I think they had to explain to Ryan Dungey what a blue flag was. I I remember I rode 250 all year, and then the week before the Nations, I rode the 450, on, and that's when I got my podium in Cullum, and it was Harpac, and I'd never rode as rough a track on a 450 in my entire life, and I just... Oh, I got so tired. I still like I still did well. I rode as fast as I could ride, and we got a decent result. But did I struggle there? It was unreal. 
it was definitely the roughest track I'd ever rode in a long time. So I said, I want to go back there and kind of redeem myself. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, another one from someone you may know. This is another final uh, Q&As. Who's this? Uh, Roston Levy. Oh, God. He says, hi, all. Could you ask Stuart of all of the riders who rode on team EHS <laughs> with him, who did he learn the most from and what his what is his best memory of that crucial time in his career? So <laughs> maybe just explain a little bit um about who team EHS is first for people at home. So back when I was on the small with 85, my mum and dad had a shop called Edmunds Hall Shot Racing. Um, and so that's where EHS came from. And they ran a team of three ro- motocross riders and then they helped. Hang on, hang on. I might be a bit sick here, but Edmunds Whole Shop Racing is EHR. How does that work? Uh, don't know. <laughs> don't know. I, I genuinely don't know how we I don't know how we got we got that, but uh, it definitely it uh, that's how we named it. And uh, yeah, it was. I remember two riders, distinctive two riders. We had three motocross riders, and my dad helped out a mountain biker. Uh, gave him a bit of gear. Uh, the two motocross riders would have been me and Dylan Lanny, but I can't quite remember this other rider. <laughs> um, I, it may have been that fella that put the question. I, I don't know. But uh, distinctively, the thing that I remember one day is that um, Gormanstown is a track over here. On a Wednesday night practice, I used to teach. I was on an 85, and this other rider, possibly Ross, might have been in his name, he uh, he used to try bully me on the track. And while I was on an 85, he was on a, a 125. I quite frequently put him over the berm and uh he used to hate it and then it got to a stage where he couldn't catch me on the 85 and then he had to be nice to me from then on so that might have answered his question but yeah no, we, my mum and dad opened a, a shop years ago Um unfortunately had to close it down uh, due to it getting robbed so much and it just put them in debt from the amount of stock that was robbed and um, but yeah we had a we had a shop and that's how team ehr came from there we go. So I think that probably rounds up the Q&A questions. Um, Roger, do you want to throw in any sly questions while we're at it? Yeah, just, okay. Um, first of all, um, do you ever see yourself coming down to Farley Castle with us and having a go at the Vets to Nations? Oh, I'd love to. I would love to do it. Um, it's getting old enough now, I guess. Oh, <laughs> you don't, you, honestly, you don't have to be now. There's, there's, some of the some of the current guys are coming down there um, and doing really really well now and riding the bikes. It's but guys are there riding bikes that are older than them now. It's, yeah. it's no, I, de- I definitely it's, loved it. It's surreal. I love it. Yeah. It's surreal. You know, I'm um, I'm an avid two stroke fan. Um, I love the two strokes. Um, my dad had a Husqvarna. I don't know. Is it? It could be. It's a five hundred. It was a five hundred. Yes. Um, last year the year before and we were going to ride that in it but I think something clashed or I couldn't make it um, um, but yeah I'd definitely love to do that I'd love to I'd lo- anything that I could ride I would be all over that 100% you, you talked to Gordy Crockard um, you know when he rides it there I mean last year this just shows the the esteem that that event is held in Gordon Crockard who is now head honcho for Honda at GPs now he actually rode at Farley Castle instead of going to one of the GPs. He actually said, I don't need to be there. I'm, I've chose to come. He chose to ride at Farley Castle instead of going to a GP. I wonder how that went down. Oh, by the way, boys, I'm taking holidays for Farley Castle. <laughs> I, I, said that, I said that to him, and his response was, I'm the boss, do what I like. 
<laughs> which i thought was brilliant i love that oh great me me and Gordy had some uh amazing chats on the way back from nations many a times hey me i've, I've had chat i've spent time with Gordy over a beer and i've literally just sat there for a couple of hours just listening to his stories oh, um, especially he went to america and did the gncc and all stuff like that and gps he is if ever a man should write a book it's him yeah it's brilliant like some of the stuff that we spoke about was unreal and he actually even gave me ideas for my own training himself. He was telling me bits and bobs about back when he was racing Cooper and stuff and what he did. And yeah, oh yeah, I had some amazing chats with him. I always love chatting with him. We always have a good chat together. Yeah, he is really a very, very interesting guy. And he's, he's just got so many stories to tell. And I'm sure there's many that uh, you probably can't tell either. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> Maybe we get him lined up for um, a podcast episode. Definitely. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, trouble is, you, you'd need to set aside three or four hours at least. <laughs> I'm sure we could do that. Because <laughs> he can tell a story, can that boy, definitely. I can imagine. Going forward then, Stu, where, where do you, I mean, Sophie, is that okay to say this? Where, where do you see yourself going in the future? I mean, Go for it. You know, eventually you're going to have to stop sometime. And looking at your biography, because I, I tried to find out some stuff on you, it actually says on your bio, motocross that's all my life has in it that's what you actually say literally so yeah. where is that going to leave you when eventually you for whatever reason have to stop yeah no um there's a few people have said that to me um obviously i think it's important that people understand that yes when you're getting old it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to stop something just because you're getting old um like i, I see the way i see it is like you look at steph and everett's you look at ben townley when they won their like their last race, what what ages they were at, um, and for me to retire, for me to retire, why why should I retire? And when I'm still enjoying the sport, when I'm still passionate with the sport, so I think I definitely have a, f a good few years in me. Um, um, I'm a late bloomer as such. I don't, I wouldn't have said I'm uh, an early riser with when it comes to the racing side of things. So, um, I'm blooming late, and I think each year I'm progressing. And I, if I'm enjoying the sport, why should I stop? So, the, till that day comes where I'm not enjoying the sport, that's when I'll know it's time to retire. So it looks like we've lost Roger completely. His internet has actually pooed his pants. So we're going to finish off the last part of the podcast ourselves, um, which is the quick fire round. Ready? Oh no! Hold <laughs> on. I'm, okay, let me let me let me compose myself here. Okay, hold on. How many questions is there? Well, I can't tell you that. Oh, damn. Right. Okay. Go. Cool. You're not allowed to know. Uh, am I just gonna give like a yes or no answer or? First answer that pops into your head. Ready? This is like the whole shot here. Okay. Yeah. Suzuki or Husky? Husky. Adak or British? Adak. CR500 or FC450? Oh, CR500. <laughs> Sand or hard pack? Hard pack. Two stroke, four stroke? Two stroke. Oh, you didn't do very well on that, did you? No. There's not really a prize for it or anything. It's just a bit of. I like two strokes, though. I really like two strokes. <laughs> they make me happy. <laughs> So I reckon um, we'll sign off from there. Um, Roger said he said bye. He's just messaged me um, to let everyone know, but his internet has unfortunately pooped his pants. Um, but yeah, that rounds up 
episode 14 of the Live Motocross podcast. Uh, I've been Sophie McGinn and we've also, well, Stuart. Yeah, you've got the podcast hug from me and what, as we say in Ireland, slan and that's goodbye. Oh, I thought that was, no, that's slancher's drinking, isn't it? Slancher's drinking, yeah. Okay. There All you right. go, you're getting that mix up. You <laughs> would have to remember that the slancher uh, when you come to drinking there. Yeah. Yeah, so slan is uh, goodbye in Irish. There we and, go. Uh, hopefully get back on again soon. There we are. Um, so remember to subscribe to the Live Motocross podcast on Acast, iTunes, Spotify. Um, we're also getting all the episodes uploaded on YouTube at the moment. So you've got another place to listen there. But in the meantime, tune in next week. No matter how hard we try.